0: I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today, we talk with Melissa Pierce. She's a widow that has a powerful story of love, loss, and healing. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Reading your book was, um, I I found myself crying um, one minute and laughing the next, and I felt like I was with you on this journey. And this book made me feel like I I was one of your best friends. (laughs) Um, I felt like I was walking with you um, in every moment, whether it was happiness, loss, uh, struggle, um, and and finding the courage to move forward. Um, But this all started around your husband, Dave. So let's let's talk a little bit about who was Dave.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, Dave he was this man who had like this quiet strength he like saw a problem or a need in the community or within our family and he would just dive in and and fix it or see who needed help and he was just kind of that person but he didn't like a ton of attention but he ended up getting a lot of attention because um, he was that kind of guy. Um, he was a football coach. He, he taught as a profession. Um, he was a math and music teacher um, but coached football, basketball, baseball. Um, he just really loved anything kid related and he could he was very comfortable around um, you know kids and his students, um, our nieces and nephews. Um, he was a super humble guy. Um, And he was an introvert, which is kind of hard when you're introverted and you're kind of in the public eye, um, like he was in our community. Um, So he did, like, his quiet time and to kind of recharge his batteries. But, um, like, he had, like, this powerful presence. Like, when he drew you into his inner circle, like, you were in. (laughs) And (laughs) he, he had... Uh, a lot of people wanted to be in that inner circle, right. um, but he, he chose his friends and the, the people that he wanted to spend his time with, he chose them very carefully. Um, and so when he had your back, he had your back.
0: I love that. Now, how did you guys meet and fall in love?
1: Um, I was friends, or I still am, um, his sister Nina, she and I um, took some uh, night classes together when we were in our early 20s and um, I met Dave through, through Nina and it's kind of a funny story. Um, we uh, were just in need of, of roommates, like I, my roommate left, his roommate left and we were both like, oh my gosh, how are we going to, you know, afford an apartment? Um, I can't do it on my own, so Nina's like, oh, you know, my brother's looking for a roommate, and I was like, well, yeah, I'd met him once before, and he was a musician. He played bass um, in a funk band in, in in Portland, Oregon, where we live, and um, the first time I met him, he's like, he didn't even see me. He saw my friend, Sheila, who was like mini skirt, long legs, you know, was really... <laughs> And I think he just kind of looked at me, hey, you know, how are you doing? And so I don't even think he remembered me, but he did. Um, so we ended up just getting a coffee, getting to know each other. I was dating somebody at the time, and um, we just decided to be roommates. And we ended up um, roommates for a couple years, and we became super, super good friends, um, and, you know, I had a couple boyfriends, he had a couple, you know, girlfriends during that time, but we always just kind of gravitated. We just liked hanging out together. And, um, then, you know, one snowy evening, it became romantic and then, um, <laughs> you know how that goes, you know, was fire and snow and, you know, drinking some wine and, and then boom. So, um, and uh, so then I decided to like move out because how can you date somebody when you're living with them? Right. <laughs> so, um, so I moved out, and then we just we continued our courtship and um, ended up living together a few years, and then eventually we got married in in two thousand.
0: And I mean, tell tell me about the decision. You mean you and Dave, best of friends, living together. And then you made the decision to you get you got married to adopt two boys from the mm-hmm. foster care system. So we were trying to to
1: have kids, um, in you know the quote unquote natural way, and we um, we had uh, fertility issues, and we struggled with those for a couple years. And um, we like I was like mid to late thirties. Dave was you know closer to forty, and we're like, well we want to have a family. We want children. What does this look like? So we had many conversations like, do we, do we try to have, you know, you know, spend a ton of money and and try to, um, get some medical help in, um, dealing with our, our fertility issues above and beyond what we were doing. Or, you know, there's a ton of kids in this world that need, you know, stable, healthy parents who love them. And, Hey, we raised our hands. We're we're those two people. We want we want um, we want a family. We want children, and um, we decided to look into adopting um, older children. Um, eventually, found our way to the Oregon foster care system, um, and we in two thousand five we we met and um, brought our sons Brad and Bryce into our family, and they were um, seven and five at the time.
0: That was a life changing moment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because you because you went and you want you were just going to go and have and and this is all in the book, um, you know, filled with gold, which is a fabulous book, you've got to read it, the love story and everything that has happened to you. But you talk about just going to meet the boys and just be introduced and you end up taking them home.
1: Yeah, we had, um, you know, we talked to their caseworker and um, their foster parents. And we before we met them, um, we had their files, so we knew all about them, and we had interviewed their, um, their foster parents, and um, so we knew that they were coming to our home, but we came up with this transition plan for them to transition to our, to our home, and we came up with this plan, I think it was like a three or four week slow transition into our home, and uh, we met them on a Sunday, um just thinking okay we're going to meet them for an hour or two and then you know we'll we'll stick with the transition plan and that day we met them they were so excited to like meet our dog buddy our big black lab and um see where they were going to live um we asked their foster parents if we could you know take them to our house and they were like sure we were already certified and, and everything um and so we took them to our house and they loved Buddy. They loved the yard. They liked their their bunk beds, and they're like, "Hey, you know, we're staying." Oh. <laughs> so, so we made the phone calls and got it all uh, figured out, and they they stayed with us and did not leave. You know, they were they were there, and we we transitioned them a little quicker than than was anticipated. So we didn't really have you know anything really set up. Um, we thought we'd have a couple,
0: but they we, were brothers. Yes,
1: they're brothers. And they also have an um, older brother, an older sister, that um, were in the foster care system, too. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why they split that sibling group up. Um, so the, our two boys all, were always together in foster care. And then um, their older siblings were at separate um, foster care homes. But we were very open with them. We always have been. And, and they're part of our family, too.
0: Oh. So you got these two great kids yeah. um, and there were, there was a lot of difficulties, you know, from the foster care system system that, that ended up, um, thank God in your care, because Mm -hmm. it seemed like you and Dave were just going to love them no matter what.
1: Oh, I loved them the minute I saw their picture in their file. (laughs) I mean, I just, it just did not, I'm getting chills right now, (laughs) but but yeah, I fell in love with them. Absolutely. We both did.
0: And so how long did you guys, um, how long were you a family unit um, before a tragedy, a big tragedy happened to your family?
1: So we we adopted them or they came into our lives in 2005. And at the time we were living in Portland, um, two years later, we moved to the eastern part of, of Oregon to um, Dave accepted a music teaching position, which was his first love. Um, you know, he liked teaching math, but music was was what he wanted to teach. So he accepted a K through 12, position in Eastern Oregon. And, um, we decided, Oh, what a great opportunity. Let's raise our kids in this small community. So we moved there in 2007. Um, and we lived on a, a side of a mountain on six acres with lots of snow and trees around. And then, um,
0: do you miss you that? Know, house? One morning-
1: What's that? Do you miss that house? Um, you know, I kind of have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with being so isolated there because I am kind of a city girl, but I was up for the adventure. Um, it allowed the four of us—Dave, uh, me, Brad, Bryce—to really spend time together, just the four of us. Um, and so, in a way, I think there is a blessing in there. With even though it was so isolating for me. Just the fact that we had we did so much together. It was just the four of us. We had like this huge, um, intense time with each other, Um, and it was. And the boys loved it. They got to play in the snow and and you know build forts and play basketball and just it was a really great time to connect with each other. So I am very grateful for those those four years. That we had together before Dave died.
0: So, what do you often think of the day that changed your life dramatically? Um,
1: you know, not often. It does. It does come up. It was. It was very traumatic. It was. Um, it happened so suddenly and without you know any warning. Um, and you just don't think about it. It happened out of the natural order of of death. Um, you know, you're supposed to grow old and you know, in your eighties and nineties and then, you know, pass in your sleep very peacefully. <laughs> I mean that's what kind of in right. your head. And um yeah, Dave, uh, it was a Friday night and Brad was in um two hundred and fifty miles away in Portland at a Lego robotics uh competition of which we were supposed to go and chaperone, but we didn't. Um so we went out to pizza with some friends. Um dave uh, myself and bryce and dave was kind of complaining like oh you know i feel like i'm getting a a chest cold and i don't feel that great and so i'm gonna go to bed and um early like we got home around eight and so he kissed me on the cheek he's like i don't want to get you sick um and so he goes into into our bed and and then bryce and i Curled up on the couch together, and um, we're watching the A Team with Bradley Cooper. Like, there's there's some very um, clear moments I have, and there's some really foggy moments sure. I have. So I don't know why I remember the A Team with Bradley Cooper, but so we're watching the movie, and we just fall asleep on the couch, and then um, I wake up the next morning because there was a basketball tournament that Bryce is in that Dave was going to help on, and. I put wood in the wood stove. I let our dog out, and it's like eight seven thirty or eight in the morning, and I'm like, "Oh, eh, it's weird, Dave's usually up, and normally we sleep together every night, um but for for whatever reason, this night we Bryce and I just fell asleep on the couch and I figured, you know Dave's sick, you know let's just I'll you know be quarantined from him. And mm-hmm. I go and I into our room, I'm doing laundry and I pick up a couple of pieces of clothing off the floor. And then I see his leg outside of the covers and his leg is gray. And I look at him and his eyes are open and he's, he's dead. I mean, I just know it. And I'm just start screaming and I'm, you know, touching him and he's cold, and his fingers are curled up. Um, his eyes are open. His mouth is open, although he, he looked kind of peaceful to me um, in a weird way. But I just I I couldn't remember, like, where the phone was. I couldn't figure out where my cell phone was. Dreaming. Bryce's I screaming, shock. Bryce is in the living room, yelling at me, like, what's going on? I'm like, don't come back here. Don't come back here. And then um, I remembered I had a landline for my for my job um and so i grabbed that and i called you know 911 and um everything's a bit of a blur i i think she had me um the dispatcher kind of walked me through cpr but i he was he had been dead i just knew that he had been dead for several hours um and that's i mean that was the end of life as as we knew it then for myself and and my boys and, and our family
0: what in the world? I know. I, I mean, I, I can't. First of all, it's rare that you don't sleep together. Yeah. It's one of your children is in a, you know, two hours or two and a half hours mm. away. And you're doing normal things. And then suddenly your world is shattered. Yeah. And he was young. He was, yeah, he was 46. He was
1: 46. And. He, I think two or three weeks before he had a full physical and he had perfect cholesterol, you know, perfect blood pressure, you know, he was, everything was fine. Um, And it was just so like, this is not happening. How in the hell does this happen? This, this is not real. Um, And I, you know, we were numb for, I think months, just, just the trauma and just not believing what had happened or, you know. A lot of times I was like, I would think in my mind, oh, he's just kind of on a business trip or he's on vacation. He's, he's going to be back. You know, I was trying to fool myself into thinking that this did not happen. But yeah, it was, it was insane. It was the absolute worst How did thing the kids, that has ever happened.
0: And, and, you know, the kids here, they are, came from foster care mm-hmm. um, when you knew some things about their family um but they had lost their biological father yeah. if i recall yeah they and so he,
1: he had um some some drug problems as well as their birth mom and um that's the reason they were in in foster care and i i believe bryce was two and brad was around four when he when he died um their, their birth father, his name is Michael. Um, so Bryce has no memories of of him. Um, he would always ask his older brother um, who we were open with, like what did he look like, what was he like, and um, but he doesn't have any memories. Brad doesn't really talk about much, um, so if he has any memories, he doesn't really talk about them. But they were so, I mean, they were so, they were in so many foster homes and back and forth. It was such a, a, you know, traumatic time for them, even before we, um, you know, they came into our lives. Uh, You know, I can't imagine, um, you know, what was going through their minds, you know, when Dave died, they lost another father. What, how does that happen when you're 13 and 10 years old? (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, how, how did they deal with that?
1: You know, they are extremely resilient kids, because I think, That's all they knew how to be, (laughs) was resilient, Um, just because of um, the experiences they had in their early lives. Um, Bryce likes to talk about his dad a lot. Um, He's very open. Um, Brad, eventually it caught up with him. He was just shutting things down, not wanting to talk about them. when we would talk about Dave or his Dave, his name was mentioned, Brad would always like leave the room. Um, I think he was incredibly, I know he was incredibly hurt um, and just did not want any more hurt in his life. So he just, I think he pushed everybody away. And, and eventually it, 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 you know, when you shut down and you don't deal with your, your feelings, your sadness, the loneliness, you know, the grief, it will come find you <laughs> and it will, make you deal with it um so he was kind of exhibiting some some pretty uh you know unhealthy coping mechanisms um and uh and so i got him the help that he needed and he's he's doing great he's doing great now but yeah it was it was awful for all of us
0: because dave was i mean we just talked about him how how connected and people loved him. And, and then, I mean, the boys felt the same way. They Dave was their father yes. and still is yes. their father. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh.
1: I mean, you have this guy so, who um, just had all this confidence, like, we can fix whatever problem. You know, he was that guy. Like, eh, don't worry about it. I don't care what anybody thinks. We're just going to – I know, you know, he just had this – fabulous internal compass and he just knew the right thing and the right thing to say and 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 here I was it's like oh my god I'm a solo parent I I cannot do this (laughs) I can't do this alone you know I just he was like the confident guy and, and in all things dad and kid and I was like am I a good mother? You know, i know, having all these, you know, gosh, I hope I don't really mess these kids up, (laughs) you know?
0: Oh, Oh, wow. Well, I, I, oh man, I, that's, you know, it is hard to, to read that portion Mm -hmm. of the book, um, you know, filled with gold. When you were having some isolation, isolation Mm -hmm. issues, working at home and the boys and Dave would go to, you know, a, a town 45 minutes away and and here you are alone with your young child and you find your husband mm-hmm. must have had a cardiac yeah. arrest, um, and die in his sleep. Um, and here you are with two sons. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about that small town. How did they help you through the loss of Dave? This
1: town is, it's called Union, Oregon, and That's where Dave taught, where he was part of the community. And these people just wrapped their arms around us and took care of us. Um, Two of Dave's really good friends. um, So like I said, we were on the side of a mountain. It was a ton of snow. We would have to plow to get out almost every day. Dave plowed. I didn't do that. So they kind of pulled me aside and they knew. I mean, we were all friends and they knew that I was not, you know, I didn't really care for it up there Um, and so we had talked and and I just told everybody I'm I can't live we can't live up here you know we're gonna have to just move and rent a house down in, in the valley in town so our two friends they said that's great because we we can't take care of you up here and that's our job we are taking care of you we're taking care of your family that's what you know, that's, that's how we're going to honor Dave. And so the next weekend, um, after Dave's, well, actually it was two days after Dave's, um, uh, memorial service, um, the entire town <laughs> basically came up to our house and moved a 3000 square foot house in a matter of, uh, probably two and a half, three hours. And they had set up the rental home for Brad and Bryce and I, they put new curtains up. They, You know, they for the six months that we were there um, until we moved back to Portland, they they had eyes on us. They loved us. They grieved with us. They I mean, I cannot I'm in love with this town. (laughs) I mean, I'm in love with the people there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just amazing. And it was really a testament to who Dave was to them um, and, and that community.
0: Now, when did you guys go back or move back to Portland?
1: Um, I decided so Dave died in January the boys were in school and, and I um, I just kind of decided early on that I needed to be back in Portland my family was there my support system was there you know my good friends, our good friends because um, we were in that we were in Eastern Oregon for about three and a half years so basically you know I grew up here in Portland our people were here and there's just not a lot of anonymity in a small town um, sometimes I just didn't want to be Melissa the widow for for about five minutes and you know people bless their hearts they're they're awesome but you know I would go to the grocery store and Somebody would just kind of look at me and cock their head like, oh, you know, poor thing. It's like, oh, shoot, I wasn't even thinking about it, you know, that five minutes. And then now I'm thinking about it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it's nothing. Everyone is, is, is just doing their best. But I needed I needed a bigger space to where I could just figure out, you know, what the hell just happened. Um, how, how do we move forward? Um, in this, how do I get the resources for us? Because there's not a ton of um, resources in smaller places, and so um, it was six months. I, I the boys finished their school year out, and then we moved that that summer back to Portland. Mm.
0: You know the the one thing that I love is that you said "bless your heart." So I know that is not a Southern thing. Yeah. It it does happen yeah. <laughs> in Oregon too. Um, but you know it's it's really interesting in small towns when when they're so closely connected. I'm I'm sure you couldn't escape and just your own grief before you were dealing with the community's yeah. grief over Dave. So I it, it must have been like a a double whammy for you. It
1: was, it was a lot of space to hold. It was too much for me to, to hold. And nobody was asking me to, to agree with them. But every, everywhere I turned, it was, you know, Dave, every, the school, the music concerts. um, And, and that, that's great, but it was like, it was, it was just too much. I was just crumbling. I was starting to crumble under the pressure. And, Um, and nobody was doing that to me. That was, that was all me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just needed to be, to breathe. I just didn't feel like I I could really breathe there.
0: Well, there, there's also a a moment that I had to chuckle and the, it's in the, almost the very end of the book, but you mentioned Camp Widow. Yeah. And which, what is that?
1: Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. (laughs) That was part of my, uh, Part of my, uh, the the first steps in my journey, um, like the first six months, it was just like I was all business, you know, taking care of, you know, this and that and the other thing and and just not really dealing with my feelings. Um, So we moved back to Portland and I I was just on the internet one night just looking for resources. Like I said, it was really hard to find anything that I really connected with and that I was feeling very alone in this and um, up on my search, up pops this. Camp Widow and I dug into it It, it, that year I think there was only one and it was in San Diego at the Marriott Hotel. I was like (laughs) oh okay well this isn't really a camp but it's full of (laughs) full of widows it's like this is right up my alley I need a weekend off you know (laughs) kind of thing um and it's it's run through Soaring Spirits Lost Foundation um which is an amazing uh, foundation and I'm, uh, that I'm part of. And I just can't, every, every time that I hear that there's a widow that I can connect with, I always connect them with Soaring Spirits. Um, but it was, a, it was a weekend in San Diego. I went in August. It was around my birthday because I didn't feel like celebrating my birthday um, that year. I didn't feel like there was anything to really celebrate. So I just, I went to San Diego and it was amazing there was hundreds of widows and women and a few widowers like me. I mean, the average age, I think, is like 47
0: of the participants
1: that go. Um, You know, women that had children, young women, like in their early 20s, um, people that were, you know, maybe seven years out and are, you know, 10 years out, and they're putting on... um, some of the, the the events and the and the, the talks that I could go to, and and I was looking at them like, oh my gosh, I'm witnessing people who are thriving, mm-hmm. and there is some hope, you know. And then there's also people who, are like me, were just like in, still in shell shock. Um, so it was it was just nice to be with a tribe of people that had gone through, you know, pretty similar experiences and it was so freeing just to talk openly about death. And um like they had a cocktail party and so like the first question wouldn't be, oh, Well, you know, what's your name? What do you do? It's like, So how'd your husband die? <laughs> it was <laughs> and, and I mean that was the cocktail and, and it was just like and we're laughing and we're crying and we're dancing and it was just It was just the most amazing experience, Um, and that's when I knew I wasn't alone, Mm. and that um, there was resources out there, and there's people to talk to, and that was kind of the start of this journey of figuring out who, you know, what what was life going to be like post, you know, Dave's death
0: wow and they they said i think the the one piece that i was uh reading was there was a ba- debate at the widow camp like mm-hmm. about which is worse losing a spouse through death or through divorce so people were there even if they've divorced
1: um actually no i mean there's people there who had been divorced and also widowed but there's people say um Really stupid things, and I don't think they mean to. But they'll say something to, and so this is in our group. We were talking about um, that some people, like as a word of comfort, would say, "Oh, you know, you're lucky your your husband died because I've got this ex, and I have to, you know, continue dealing with him." And and you're just like, "What? Like, <laughs> no?" Uh, and it, it, people say that. I mean, it's it's kind of common. Nobody said that to me, but I've heard, um, you know, with other my widow friends, like somebody actually said that to try and comfort them, and and you know, with divorce can be traumatic. Obviously, um, death is traumatic, but you know, with death, there's no choice.
0: Right.
1: Um, in divorce, somebody made a choice, or right. both of you made a choice to end the relationship. But with death, there's no choice. Nobody made a choice to do this. Um, you know what I mean It's it, but it's just weird debate and it was like God, and then we talk about oh you wouldn't believe what so and so said to me or you know or what my mother-in-law <laughs> said or you know what my sister said and, and it, you know people are just doing their best and you just kind of have to try not to be offended but sure um, you no,
0: know but that also brings me to I mean do you ever get over losing someone in death I mean is there isn't closure a myth I mean, when you lose someone, especially as tragically and unexpectedly as Dave, is there a way to get over losing someone like that?
1: No. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, closure is a myth. Um, It was something I was looking for at the beginning. Like, okay, how do we make this stop? (laughs) You know, how do I make this pain and sadness and loneliness stop? But there... No, I mean, there is no, you need, you'll never get over it. I will never get over it. My children were, will never get over it. Dave's parents and siblings and, and my family and our friends will never get over it. It's a piece of me now. It's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was the catalyst for, um, this new life that I have, you know, it, um, it's unfortunate that I had to deal and and delve into personal growth because I didn't realize that I needed to, you know, grow personally, but I clearly did. And, and Dave's death was the catalyst for that. And I'm I'm very sorry that that had to happen for me, um, you know, to move forward in my life.
0: Um, Yeah, but you know,
1: always the conversation uh, never stops with him either. I am conversing with him
0: um, all the time,
1: all the know. You know, just not all the time. It used to be all the time, but now it's like I'm more like conversing with myself, but his spirit's here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, my father passed away. My grandmother passed away. I was very close with them, but I don't have the relationship in death with them that I do with Dave. Um, I just feel his presence. Um, and I do ask for his, um, I ask him to influence um, Things like with our boys, I, you know, he is a part of us. He's, Mm. you know, so there is no getting over or closure. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to get closure, you're gonna you're gonna run into some problems because that, to me, is like shutting down. Like, like, nope, we're over. We're just shutting this off, and you can't, you know, you can't
0: shut Mm -hmm. it down. So, what was it like for you? You you did remarry. Mm -hmm. Um, What was it like? You know meeting someone else and getting married. I mean, this, you thought you were married, your best friend and was going to live forever after with this. What was that like for you?
1: Well, it was not something I ever thought that I would, I would, I never thought I'd be in another relationship. Um, You know, Dave was the one we were going to, you know, we were going to grow old together and our kids were going to go to college and we are going to have grandkids and and you know spend our our years traveling around the country in an RV but that that didn't happen so i just i took about a year and a half to really dig into it was like melissa 101 i i really mm. dug into you know what do i want you know what what's going on with me what what not what do I need to fix, but there's some, some things that I've never really looked at that are coming up now because of of Dave's death, and I need to I need to do some digging. So I I really kind of worked on me, um, and then I I came. I, I like partnership. I'm good at partnership. Um, Dave and I had a really strong partnership, and 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 I like that. And so then I had to get really clear on. If I want a future partnership, what does that look like? What kind of impact is that going to have on, on my sons? Um, what kind of impact do I want this person to have on my sons? Um, and so I was super clear on what I wanted, and then I'm like, okay, I'll just leave it up to what if it happens, happens. If it doesn't, great, whatever. And then um, I ended up uh, meeting Sean uh, about uh, 20 months after Dave died. And it's almost like I ordered him up from a catalog (laughs) 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 Uh, because I did, I I got really clear. Like this is, this is what's acceptable to me. This is what I want in partnership. This is what's not acceptable to me. So it's almost like I kind of had this filter. Um, and so if somebody came in my path, which nobody did, Sean was the first guy I ever dated (laughs) after Dave's death. And, um, In a weird, in a strange way, I believe that Dave had uh, a hand in that.
0: Oh, I bet.
1: In in our being together. But um, Sean and I, we were, um, we just met at like a dinner. There was 12 other people there, and um, I was talking to um, a gal, and he was talking to somebody, and he was across the table from me, and he mentioned that he grew up in the same town that I did. And so I'm like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, you know, did you go to high school there? Yeah what year did you graduate? Same year as me. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and, so, and we decided, or we found out that we kind of ran in, in this, you know, same circles, but we didn't really intersect with each other you know, as we were growing huh. up. But, you know, we were to the same church. Um, what? And yes. And I, and I kind of remember him sort of as a kid or in our teens. And he kind of sort of remembers me, um, it was, it was just crazy. And it ended up being that, you know, we have got the same values. We, you know, we value our family. We value our children. Um, we just, we just clicked. And, you know, I'm the, he's the perfect partner for me. I'm the perfect partner for him in this, at, at this particular time. I don't, it would not have worked if we, you know, met back in high school and you know, it's, mm. we weren't ready for each other then.
0: Well, I mean, you do—you come with now a package deal. You have oh, two yeah. sons, mm-hmm. and what was it like for them? I mean, to to welcome Sean into the family.
1: Um, my youngest, Bryce, has always been very clear about what he wants um, from the get-go. The the line in his DHS file um, when we were looking through um, when he was in foster care he said that he wanted a mom and a dad and a dog to lick his face. So, I mean, yes, and that's, I fell in love with him on that. So he had all that for a while. Um, and then he's always just gravitated towards kind of that male energy, that father energy. My brother, my older brother kind of took on that role. Um, and um, Bryce has always been open to, um kind of a father figure. So he and Sean have a really, really cool relationship and, and, you know, he's still in high school and um, they're, they're like buddies and they work on cars together and that, you know, kind of some of those mm. dad things that, that um, you know, that a father and son do, but, but Sean's very, you know, he's very aware and very um, sensitive to the fact that Davis is dad. You know, I'm I'm Sean, and I'm I'm gonna be kind of guiding you, you know, this father energy kind of guiding you through life. But but Dave's your dad, and Bryce knows that. Um, Brad was um, a little bit older, not as open to that. But they're, I mean, they're cool with each other. I mean, they they're kind of uh, software nerds <laughs> together, so they like <laughs> to play games. You know, like those really intricate role playing games and 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 whatnot. Um, so they connect on kind of more of a, you know, peer level. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Now you're remarried. Uh, the kids are growing up. I mean, do you still consider yourself a widow?
1: Yes. Yeah. At, At first I really rejected that. Like when I had to fill out the doctor's form for the first time and there was those boxes, you know, single, married, you know, divorced, widowed. And the first time I had to fill it out, it's like, oh, hell no. I'm not, <laughs> I am not checking that box. <laughs> um, but, but now it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's who I am. I'm, I'm a widow. I'm, I'm married. I'm a mom. I'm a widow coach. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. Um, this is, is part of me now. I mean, that's it's one of my labels, I guess. And, and I own it.
0: Well, how is everybody with you moving forward, um, with your life? Where I mean, because Dave was so beloved. I mean, did people have a hard time? You know, if
1: they did, they didn't make me aware of it. Oh, um, you know, I can kind of surmise by by silence, um, mm. people's silence, you know, maybe what their, what their thoughts and feelings are. But honestly, I, I had to get to a point in my life where it's none of my business what you think about what I'm doing. I because love that you're not walking in my shoes. I mean, you you, thank God you're, you're not on this journey because it's really painful. Um, and so I just kind of, I just try to have a lot of compassion for, um, for people who may not really understand what, you know, what our family has gone through or what I'm going through. Um, so yeah, nobody's been a jerk or anything like that, or said anything terrible. Like, oh, I don't think you should get married, or it's too soon. They're just whatever. happy for you. Yeah, you know, honestly, and that's who I surround myself with. That's who I, the people that um, that that are drawn to our family, myself, and, and our family are people that we want there, that are supportive and um, love us, and just want the best for us. And that's that's who we've got in our lives.
0: Well, what inspired you to write a book? about your story. Um, the book is called filled with goal, a Widow's story. I mean, what inspired you to take it to even put down in a book?
1: It was, it, it was all around at the beginning of, you know, after Dave died and I was just looking for anything to provide some comfort or some knowledge or wisdom, whether that's a book or, um, and there weren't podcasts really in 2011, or maybe there were. But I was, just, I was just looking for anything, any kind of connection, and it was really, I was really having a hard time. Um, like there was a tiny bookstore in town, and their section on grief was maybe like four books. Um, yeah, um, and there was like some, um, oh, there was like some some groups, some grief groups, but they just nothing really connected with me. And so I thought, well, there's so many people out there. There's so many women, especially when I went to Camp Widow, it's like, boy, I'm not alone, but I sure felt it. Um, and so I decided to just write down or share my story. So hopefully somebody, um, to pick this up and realize, oh my gosh, she's kind of having some of the same feelings or maybe I'm not so weird or, you know, maybe this is kind of quote unquote normal for me to, you know, be feeling this or, or doing this. And I just decided, you know, this is, this is, I'm just going to take a stand and, and I'm going to be authentic and I'm going to be real and it's not so pretty and I'm just not going to care what other people think about me and, and, and what I did. Um, and the steps that I took, and hopefully this connects and resonates with somebody, um, because a lot of the books out there that I was, with the exception of one, um, Abigail Carter um, wrote *The Alchemy of Loss*. She, her husband died in the nine eleven attacks. She, I wrote, I read that book because I found her at Camp Widow. She was one of the speakers, and she wrote this awesome story about you know life wasn't all rosy and and wonderful when her husband died. and and humans are messy and and there's and everyone has challenges, relationships have challenges and and Dave and I were kind of having a few challenges. Um, but everything else I was reading was like everything was hundred percent awesome and then it, you know there's 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 some stuff that happens where you have to after I lost Dave, I was still trying to, you know, work out some of the challenges that we were having. Um, and I had to do that without him there. And um, and that one book really, I thought, wow, I'm going to write a book like that. I'm going to be, I'm going to write about kind of some of the messy stuff. Um, and just be real. And because life is, you know, humans are real. Humans are messy. Humans, relationships are challenging. Let's Let's put that in.
0: But that's what I loved about it. That's what made me giggle because I could relate Mm -hmm. to it. I mean, some of and your I I don't I mean your humor um, and the way you tell a story. I just found it connecting with me. Um, (laughs) Just and I I don't know if you were trying to be funny, but it was just the way you said it and the way it happened. It it was just. Uh, funny. Um, and and it just seemed that you and Dave had this sort of lighthearted, um, but sort of interesting mm-hmm. dynamics of being roommates at mm-hmm. one time and working through all of that. But I, I think the messy is what makes mm-hmm. it beautiful. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't want a
1: fairy right. tale. Yeah, because there is no fairy tale. There, That's not, you know... No! It, it, we're human. It was real. I wanted to... You know, some of the details that I, I share in the book were about Dave, that, and he was a really private person, and I really wrestled with, um, you know, not putting some things in there in the book, but I'm like, you know, no. I mean, this is who we were. It's not bad. You know, nothing's bad. It's just like, this is this is who Dave was, this is who I was, he's human, I'm human. Um, You know, I think this would resonate more with with somebody. If I was, I needed to be real. And and I I tried to write the book like how I talk. I mean, this is like, this is how I, you know, communicate most of the time. And so, and I, if it's with humor, I mean, I kind of do that. And so I just, that's, I wrote the book kind of how I talk.
0: It made me, like I said, feel like I was walking beside you. and. That's what was powerful is I, I had to really put the book down sometimes, not that it was something bad, but I, I really wish that I could have been there and been like, Hey, let me help you get off this mountain. Or what the heck can I do for you? Because you felt that present as a reader. Um, and that's rare to, to feel, but what did you feel after the book, um, was written and out there? Was it therapeutic for you to write this book?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think just being able to have this story and be able to share it and and almost like being understood. It made me feel more connected to people, um, and just feeling like I was pretty insular when I was dealing with, with my sadness and, and um a lot of people just thought, oh, she's, she's got this. She's got this handled. And I really didn't. <laughs> um, so it was more like, oh, wow. Boy, I thought I knew what was going on um, with you, but I really didn't. Um, and I read it in the book, and I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there. And I'm like, you know, I didn't pull you in. You know, don't be sorry. You, you offered up your, your help, but I didn't pull you in. And, but this is just, I think storytelling is really important. I think it connects us it makes us feel like we're not alone in this world. And um, and I, I just hope that when somebody does read my story, that um, it's kind of my way of like, Dave's death almost shattered me and our family. And this is kind of my, my legacy and my tribute to him. If I can take this experience, this really traumatic negative experience and assist or guide or help somebody um, through what they're going through. That's, it's worth so much. I mean, it's, it's my tribute to him.
0: There is one powerful um, portion of the book that I bawled in. And that is when um, the, I don't know if it was a coach or a teacher was telling brad about dave and um oh my gosh yeah uh i yeah. thought i i mean i i had to reread that several it was so beautiful but so painful mm-hmm. um i i just and and it comes like 50 or 60 pages in the book and it, it was a, such a interesting mm-hmm. um to hear the other side and see the other side of what happened after you hung up the phone. Um, it, it was, whoo.
1: Yes. I, uh, I didn't know I wasn't with Brad. I had to call him on the phone and I had to connect with the teacher that he was with, um, in Portland to tell him what had happened. Um, and kind of instruct him like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell Brad on the phone because I don't want him to start getting texts, you know, like, right. Sorry right, about your dad because Dave was so when well he doesn't up. know. Um and my brother my brother was on his way to go get him and bring him um back home. But I didn't in writing the book, I had no picture of i wanted like a movie. I wish somebody was there to film that because I had no idea what um what my son was going through when when I had to tell him over the phone and basically destroy his world. Um, so I contacted um, Greg, the teacher, and I said, "This might sound weird, but I'm writing this book, and I would like to know what. Can you just tell me what, what was going on? What did you see? What did you experience when you were with Brad?" And I was telling him on the phone, and that was like, that was like one of those mysteries that it, it, I never would have known unless I asked him. I always wanted to know, like, what was what was that like. Um, for Brad, because I know it was hell for me to to tell him and and talk to him, and then be so worried and, and have him, you know, drive that 250 miles back to me. Um, that was absolute hell to like to know that my kid was not with me, and the, and the, and the pain that he was experiencing. So I did include that in part of the book, and that was it was just like, oh my gosh, thank you. I mean, I have this. I have this movie in my mind of, of what that was like, and I just feel so much empathy and, and, and pain for my son and, and what mm. he had to deal with.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that added such a beautiful image because you weren't there, and, and mm-hmm. actually just the teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I mean, to, to, mm-hmm. to be, oh. I mean, because there was no yeah. other way to handle that situation except to handle it, um, for sure. No, Now tell me, how can individuals find this book?
1: Um, They can find it um, on my website, which is www.filledwithgold.org. And there's a link to Amazon, or they can go directly um, to Amazon. Um, And that's how they would find my book.
0: Now, are you getting a lot of good responses from people reading this book? You have to have.
1: I am, and I love that people are who have purchased my book are telling me that, oh, I, I gave this book to you know my mother's friend, mm-hmm. or I love that um, people are not just keeping it in their bookshelf, but that they're purchasing the, the book and they're giving it to somebody else who might need it. Um, I, I love that. I, I'm getting a lot of great feedback about that. Um, and just, I'm just really, I'm, I'm really proud that, um, that I can share this with the world and I can, you know, provide some kind of assistance or guidance to anybody going through this experience, especially moms or dads who are single parenting. Um, I just, this is my mission. I mean, this is... I never knew I would be on this mission. I never knew that that this would happen, but this is, I'm going to take this and um, I'm going to make something good out of of what happened.
0: Now, are you being asked, are you now a speaker at the widow's camp?
1: Um, No, I've talked to them. Um, They now have four widow camps. Um, At the time, in 2011, they just had one. So now they have one in Toronto, one in Tampa one in San Diego, and I can't remember the other place. Um, and so I've been um, asking, I've been talking with them about presenting at one of the widow camps this year. So hopefully that will happen.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> so when I finished, I was like, oh my God, she's going to be one of those presenters at the widow camp. And I, I, I envisioned it. So I think you're, you're on your way.
1: Yes, I hope so. That's, that's, that's the plan.
0: Well, look, I can't tell you. Thank you for sharing, Dave, with us. Um, by writing this book, you not only have found how to live with grief, but you've also shared and extended Dave's, Dave's legacy far beyond, you know, his own life. And the it, it was really nice to to read about a love story that was not perfect but ended tragically, and 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 watch you as, you know, me being a woman too, to learn how to stop and, and get to know your own self, um, to move on. And I, I just applaud you. And I think you're one of my heroes. And I I just think everyone should read this book. And even if you're not in a widowed situation, it really taught me a little bit about unexpected death. Um, and, and how even the people who have it together, you are in shock mode and, and, and how we deal with children involved with death. And I just think, um, I think Dave would be really, really proud of the mother you were and are, and, and are still becoming. Um, and I'm so glad Sean's a part of this family union unit now. So, uh, I just thank you for sharing it.
1: Oh my gosh! Thank you for having me on, and, and thank you for for doing what you do. I I just listened to your TED talk or watched your TED talk, and uh, yeah, there's that elephant in the room. We gotta we gotta <laughs> talk. We gotta talk about death. I mean, I I do it all the time now.
0: <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah, and you, and you do it so well. And I would encourage anyone out there who is looking for a speaker um, about someone going through a tragedy and a loss and grief. Get, get Melissa to come out and and speak to your group. Um, Melissa, would tell me your website one more time.
1: It's www.filledwithgold.org. org, and you can you can connect with me there.
0: Cool, and I'll also have that link um, if you follow um, it through a link on social media or go to my website, deathbydesign.com. I'll have that link to take you to her website too. Hey, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing the story. And, and, uh, I wish you, um, Oh gosh, just so much joy and, and hug those boys. And, uh, and I'm so glad that Sean's a part of your life.
1: Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.